Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Have you ever been caught in a lie? Sure, we'd all like to believe we're honest 100% of the time, no matter the predicament. However, that simply is not the case. We're all human, after all. Sometimes a white lie is told for the sake of making everyone's life a bit easier. Or at least, that's how we justify it. Of course, these are small things we're talking about. As in telling your Aunt Marie the green bean casserole was fantastic at Thanksgiving dinner. Most of us routinely bend the truth in this way so as not to hurt the feelings of others. In the case you're about to hear today was about someone who habitually bent the truth to their will. Only we're not talking about little white lies or falsities. In fact, the enormity of the lies told in this episode will undoubtedly seem absurd at times. That's without question. But just try to remember that some people can weave a convincing web of lies so intricate that they become desperate to maintain that new truth. When those fabrications go too far, that individual may very well be willing to do just about anything to keep their deceptive fantasies alive. Taylor Renee Parker was a 27-year-old woman from New Boston, Texas. She was a mother of two children, a daughter and a son. Both children had different fathers. Taylor had been married to both for a short time, each respective marriage ending in divorce. Approaching her 30s, Taylor was looking to find someone new. She wasn't interested in dating around. Instead, she was seeking something more serious. Taylor wanted a stable relationship. In addition, having a third child was on the forefront of her mind. In pursuit of finding this Mr. Wright of hers, Taylor would soon meet a man named Wade Griffin. In true Texas fashion, the couple were first acquainted at a rodeo in July of 2019. Wade was the supervisor for a roofing company, but also worked many side jobs. He managed livestock on his farm, hunted, trapped hogs, and was a welder by trade. A good old southern boy, if you will. Hardworking, perhaps a bit naive, but at any rate, a charming cowboy. Before leaving the rodeo event, Wade and Taylor exchanged information. They began talking on social media soon after. Their conversations were surprisingly business-related at first. After learning Wade worked with his hands, Taylor messaged him and asked for a quote to do some work for her family. Taylor said they needed some land cleared in Brian's Mill, Texas. She also said that money was no object, and that they even had their own equipment that Wade could use for the job. Wade soon returned with a quote of some $50,000 to clear the vast acreage of overgrown bushes and trees. This rate included hiring another man for the job, Wade's friend Juan, who he had worked many times with in the past. Eventually, the deal was made, and Taylor put down a deposit. But just as they were about to get to work, Taylor called Wade and told him to shut down the operation completely. 
She said this was at the emergency request of her mother, Shauna. Apparently, Shauna had just found out the equipment they were going to use was stolen. The job was then put on pause indefinitely. Of course, this was disappointing for Wade, but it was devastating to his friend Juan. See, Juan had four children. He was depending on that money to provide for his family and was put in a very difficult situation financially after the job fell apart. Despite the business side of things not working out, Taylor and Wade stayed in touch, and it wasn't long before a romantic relationship developed between the two. They started dating and things were moving rather quickly. As we mentioned before, Taylor wasn't interested in wasting any time. She wanted to start a new family. After just a few weeks of her and Wade's relationship, Taylor informed her new boyfriend of the news. She was pregnant. However, before any plans were made or excitement was had, Taylor returned with some bad news, this time from the doctor. She told Wade she had miscarried. The loss of their unborn baby was extremely upsetting to Wade, as he was looking forward to becoming a father, despite having just met Taylor Parker. One positive that did come from such a trying and difficult situation was that it brought the couple closer together. But as time passed, Taylor's behavior began to change. Only Wade wouldn't realize it at first. But eventually, his new girlfriend would reveal who she really was. And it wasn't pretty. It all started when Taylor began making some pretty outlandish claims. She eventually told Wade that she was the heiress to her grandfather's oil company, and that she would in fact be receiving millions of dollars in commercial fuel royalties. Not too bad for Wade. Taylor also told him that her mother Shauna had stolen some $3 million of hers and had used that money to put a hit out on her via the Mexican mafia, and that Taylor's life was now in danger. Again, not so great, Wade thought. Wade started receiving emails around this time himself, threatening emails. They came from an account he didn't recognize, but one Taylor believed was associated with her mother, Shauna. It was around this time Taylor moved in with Wade, mainly because he feared for her safety, with all of the talk about violence and a supposed hit. Taylor was appreciative of Wade's kindness. Although they'd just met, Taylor repaid the favor by helping maintain his livestock on the farm and cook meals. According to Wade, she was a great cook, something he saw as an upside to his new living situation. Shortly after moving in together, Taylor began telling Wade some even more bizarre stories. She said that her mother Shauna was now hacking both of their cell phones. Taylor went on to claim that the middleman her mother had paid to kill her had been captured. Thank God. Not long after, Taylor continued by telling Wade that her mother was in a shootout with the FBI, explaining that while she was in custody, she'd hung herself in her jail cell following her arrest. Ultimately, what she was trying to say was that her mother was no longer a threat, that she was now dead and that she was no longer in the picture, and that she could now access her millions of dollars as the heir to her grandfather's oil company. I know, trust me, it's a lot, but hang in there. We're just getting started. If you can believe it, Wade Griffin was not skeptical at this point. One reason for this was because he started getting texts and emails from Taylor's father and her grandparents. They spoke of their excitement about the new relationship and their approval that Wade was dating the young heiress. They showered him with compliments and told him that they couldn't wait to meet him. Her family even made Wade promises to a deed of 800 acres of land 
in the event the two would eventually get married. Mind you, this all happened within the first few weeks of the couple even knowing each other. While awaiting full access to her, quote, pending inheritance, Taylor came up with an idea. Because of her newfound wealth, she suggested that her and Wade purchase a large piece of property together. It would be a business investment, Taylor said. The land could be used for hunting and raising and selling cattle and expanding Wade's existing hog business. As a small-town country boy from Sims, Texas, to Wade, this was a dream come true. He told Taylor that he knew just the place, Pecan Point. Wade was personally familiar with Pecan Point and the property was up for sale. He'd actually done previous work for the current owner of the land and had a good relationship with him. This property was on the Texas-Oklahoma border and it was huge. We're talking miles and miles of pristine farmland listed for sale at $4.7 million. After talking about the idea, Taylor saw how excited Wade was about acquiring Pecan Point. Wade had thought he'd struck gold with Taylor. His family was grateful he'd finally found someone as well. However, that feeling didn't last long, the more they got to know her. At a Christmas party in 2019, Taylor revealed the big surprise to Wade's family. She made the announcement of their plans to purchase the multi-million dollar property. She even handed out little cards with pecans scotch-taped to the back to everyone in attendance. Wade's family was thrilled. They were all avid duck hunters, and Taylor assured them they would never need a hunting lease again. It would be their own personal recreational paradise, she told them. Taylor Parker was the hit of the party. However, the festive mood suddenly shifted when an individual walked in the front door that no one expected to see. A woman who was apparently back from the dead. Taylor's own mother, Shauna. Wade's family, his boss from the roofing company he worked at, and his boss's wife were also at that party. They were all privy to the stories Taylor had been telling up to this point about the mafia and shootouts with the feds, and above all else, that Taylor's mother was already dead. She'd have told these things to everyone herself, and not just Wade. Thoroughly expecting Taylor to come up with some excuse as to why her mother was still alive and walking around at the party, she never did. She ignored the whole hitman suicide ordeal as if it never happened. No one at the party chose to say anything either. But if there was ever a warning sign present, this was definitely the one. After promising both Wade and his family the world, Taylor reached out to the real estate agent handling the sale of the Pecan Point property. His name was Rusty Lowe. Taylor introduced herself as the heiress to the Blackburn Syrup Fortune. You heard that right. Syrup, not oil and gas, as she had previously claimed. According to Taylor, she was now a Maple Syrup Company heiress. Taylor put in an offer for $3.5 million, and Rusty found this to be fair and eventually accepted. The deal was made pending the required $200,000 cash deposit, certainly a more than reasonable amount given the extensive property. What should have been a clear indicator of things to come was the fact that Taylor began dragging her feet from the very beginning in regards to the payment. Weeks would go by and Taylor still hadn't put down any money on the hunting property. When she initially signed the contract, she signed it Taylor Parker Griffin. The dilemma here, of course, was that her and Wade were not yet married. And if and when a deposit was ever made, Taylor still needed to provide a bank statement. 
She told Rusty she had a $7 million wire transfer coming in soon. This would be proof that Taylor could actually afford the property. But Taylor continued making excuses, and neither the deposit nor the bank statements were ever handed over to the realtor. Taylor assured the agent not to worry. It was at this point she decided to reintroduce the oil and gas money story. This in conjunction, of course, with her maple syrup fortune should have been more than enough evidence to convince Rusty the realtor that she was beyond wealthy, and thus he should feel secure moving forward with the deal. At least that's how Taylor Parker's brain worked. But alas, no proof of oil funds were provided either. All the while, Taylor had brazenly expressed interest in purchasing even more property. There were two additional plots of land located directly adjacent to the pecan farm. After adding up the total land cost, Taylor was now looking at a price tag somewhere in the vicinity of $20 million, chump change for such a wealthy heiress. Keep in mind that no funds had yet been put up at this point, nor proof of any income or inheritance for that matter. Yet Taylor reassured Rusty yet again, now explaining that she had an Uncle Butch who had plenty of money as well. She threw Uncle Butch in the mix as just one more buffer of precaution to ease Rusty's mind. Meanwhile, Wade was under the full impression that he'd be acquiring his dream property and soon. Remember, Wade actually knew the owner of Pecan Point. He knew a lot of people in town, which ultimately meant that his word was good with real estate agent Rusty. Wade told him not to worry and that his girlfriend Taylor had everything under control, although he had no direct involvement in the deal whatsoever. While all of this was going on, Taylor had convinced Wade to make some additional yet extravagant purchases. While they waited for the land deal to go through, Wade purchased 20 cattle, which cost $21,000, along with a brand new $29,000 ATV. Oh yeah, and a brand new pickup truck that cost $92,000. Wade took out loans to acquire all of these things, under the pretense that Taylor would pay it all off once her millions of dollars cleared the bank, which again was supposed to happen any day now at least according to her. This episode is proudly brought to you by Squarespace. What's your passion project? Mine's a little murder mystery novel I've been working on for the past two years, and I just started building the website to promote it, and I'm using Squarespace to do it. Squarespace is an all-in-one web design platform that helps you establish and grow your brand online. I've been using and loving Squarespace for years, and even use it to build InvisibleQuire.com. And they have so many easily integrated functions, you don't have to have any coding experience to get started. For instance, they have a members-only area where you can actually sell monthly subscriptions to your own gated content, whether that be classes, instructional videos, and yes, even podcasts. They've also got a simple-to-use appointment scheduling feature where your clients can book appointments directly with you through your website, eliminating the mess of coordinating calendars. They also have an incredibly powerful video studio tool, which I'm excited about because it helps you create pro-level videos quickly and easily. And that's why I love Squarespace. It's quick and easy and allows you control over your content. If you're ready to get started, head on over to squarespace.com choir for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code choir to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com choir. This episode is also proudly brought to you by HelloFresh. All right, so look, they tell me spring is right around the corner, even though we just got 15 inches of snow yesterday. 
But you know, one last trip I need to make during a blizzard is to the grocery store. Seriously, skip the checkout lines and get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. With HelloFresh, dinner is covered. They have over 40 recipes and 100 seasonal and convenience items to choose from each and every week. And the reason I love it is they have a fantastic mobile application that makes ordering seamless. And if you need to take a week off here or there, it's so easy to do, honestly. So if you're like me and you travel a lot or have people over for dinner, you can make those adjustments on the fly the week before your delivery arrives. If you're ready to give HelloFresh a try, go to HelloFresh.com slash Invisible50 and use code Invisible50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Invisible50 and use promo code Invisible50 for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. By January of 2020, there was even more going on. So why not add one more layer of chaos to the mix? Following the new year, Taylor was excited to inform Wade once again that she was pregnant. The couple hadn't yet known each other for six months. Yet after losing their first child together due to miscarriage, Wade was delighted with the news. He was going to have a child after all and was excited to finally become a dad. A couple of days later, just after learning Taylor was pregnant, Wade received another text message, but it didn't come from a number he recognized, and it wasn't from anyone in Taylor's family. The message more or less advised Wade to be careful in reference to his new girlfriend. The person on the other end of the line refused to identify themselves, yet messaged back, saying they knew Taylor better than he did, explaining that she is not at all who she says she is. Wade ignored the strange texts. Two months later that March, Taylor's friends Cody and Stephanie hosted a gender reveal party for the soon-to-be parents. Taylor had Wade bring a small heifer from his farm. They revealed the child's gender by putting a pink ribbon around the animal's neck. Taylor posted the caption, It's a girl, to Snapchat along with a photo of the cow. They also announced publicly that they would be naming their daughter Clancy Gale. Months later, Taylor posted the following on Instagram. Ready for baby snuggles? Come on, seven weeks left. The image above the caption was of Taylor. She had a big grin in the mirror selfie she snapped on her cell phone. In the image, Taylor can be seen gently holding a by then very pregnant belly. Meanwhile, all of the kinks of the pecan point deal were still being worked out. At least, that's what Wade thought. Taylor had written two checks to Rusty Lowe each one for $150,000. This would cover the land deposit and then some, she thought. She handed them over to Rusty, and then, for some strange reason, immediately asked for them back. It took him a while, but Rusty was slowly becoming more and more irritated. He began to think maybe Taylor Parker was giving him the runaround intentionally. With that being said, this was a big deal for Rusty. If he could manage to close the transaction, he had a serious payday coming himself. Just then, out of nowhere and to everyone's surprise, Taylor came through. She had the oil and gas paperwork. Finally, she was going to prove once and for all that her equity in the company actually existed and that her stake in the massively successful family businesses would all check out. Believing that some progress was now being made, the realtor hired a land surveyor out of Tyler, Texas. The plan was to send the surveyor to Taylor's grandfather's oil field to see if everything was legitimate. 
But as soon as the man looked at whatever documents had been sent over by Taylor, he informed Rusty that, unfortunately, the paperwork was all fake. The documents had come from a Shell Western Global Gas and indicated a wire transfer incoming of a whopping $370 million. There was also a name at the header of the first page, Shelley Links. In addition, the email address attaching this supposed proof of an astronomical bank deposit came from what appeared to be a personal AOL account. ShellyLinks.WesternGlobal at AOL.com Shelly Links was supposedly a representative of Taylor Parker's, but lo and behold, for some reason, Shelly could not be reached. When Rusty circled back with Taylor looking for some clarification, she became extremely defensive. She was particularly upset when she learned Rusty had attempted to contact her wealthy Uncle Butch. Rusty's realty office then received the following message soon after. After talking to my dad and attorney, whom have bought land for more than this, It was stated to me the seller can ask, but you don't have to ask them to verify what we have in the bank. Wade and myself both weren't okay with him calling for all that. My Uncle Butch is a multi-million dollar landowner and he says he has asked and been denied. Just as a side note here, Taylor's attorney, who Rusty had also corresponded with during this entire fiasco, was named Blake Lawington. Just wanted to include that small detail for reference. Coincidentally, Shelley Links then finally responded to Rusty from the personal AOL email account. Banking information is completely confidential. The buyers were not under the assumption a verification letter was required until you requested it in your office. I am sending this verification form since I will be providing funds. Funds and where they come from is not of importance as long as the seller is paid from my understanding. The clients are not okay with a seller calling their bank and are firm on their decision in that matter. Rusty sure was a nice guy. He gave in and accepted this notion of the buyer simply wanting some discretion. Classic Southern hospitality. Rusty was still hopeful of selling the property to Taylor even after all he'd been through with her. What optimism he did have left more than likely could be attributed to the $1.5 million commission he stood to earn if he could somehow finalize the transaction. But that little hope was soon whittled down like mesquite on a barbecue pit once April 2020 rolled around. After four months of playing games and accomplishing absolutely nothing, Taylor contacted the real estate agent Rusty once again. This time, she told him that the deal was off. She said there was no syrup fortune, there was no oil and gas money, and there never was an Uncle Butch. Wow can't say that we were surprised, but her reasoning behind why these claims were made is even more fascinating. Taylor claimed she had been set up and let on this entire time by her mother Shauna, who had been attempting to sabotage her life. You might be saying to yourself right about now, wait a minute, what the hell? Well, imagine how Rusty feels, or better yet, the man about to have a child with this woman, Wade Griffin. By now, Wade's family knew Taylor was bad news or at the very least that there was something seriously wrong with her. All the while, she continued bragging about the oil and gas money that was allegedly coming in. Wade was pretty over it by now as well. He was disappointed and embarrassed more than anything. In less than a year, Taylor managed to disparage his good name by making false promises to friends as well as business acquaintances all over town. People who knew and trusted Wade. 
not to mention he was now in a great deal of financial debt from buying unnecessary equipment for a hog and hunting business that was more than likely never going to exist. As a result, Wade felt betrayed and in turn began to lose interest in Taylor altogether. He did, however, have a baby on the way, and Wade intended on being the best father that he could be, regardless of what happened between him and Taylor. Wade's family could see that his girlfriend was far more in love with him by this point than he was with her, although obsessed may actually be a better word to describe Taylor's infatuation. On April 7, 2020, a family member who was close with Wade received the following email, supposedly from Taylor's mother, Shauna. Listen, you know nothing about Taylor. Don't try to be a mother figure to her. I did an amazing job making her look bad. It took time and accurately planning every step of the way. She brought you to the bank and made herself look like she was lying to get a check cashed. I had already arranged everything. My helper knew she was coming with you because she called making sure. You wasted your time on her because that check was never good. Let her fail in life. Let her see what it's like to have nothing. I've worked it out perfectly. I've arranged this all so there are cracks, you see. Things won't add up and she will look even more like a liar. I stole numbers to make her think people were calling and doing things for her, and it was never them. This will not end well for her. No matter where she turns or what she says, there will be a light to fall back on her. See, I am going to send her in such deep of a depression, she will probably try to kill herself like she has tried before. But if not, then making Wade leave will do the trick. See, he will have no choice but to leave because nothing will be true. I've made his family turn on them from pretending to be people like a dealership that didn't get paid. Does it click now to you people? Just let her fall into a hole and not get out. She will go crazy thinking she did the right thing for a curtain reason, but in reality I made her think that way. She has a way of wanting to protect everyone. Well, that's what got her into this mess. If you want to be her mom, good luck. She is like the child we should have terminated in the beginning because she was the accident I didn't want. Maybe you will get the big picture and enjoy the mess. She kings for someone to love her, and when Wade leaves because I've made her out to be a liar, well, she'll come running to you. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job. And we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, all misspellings and nonsensical language aside, are you confused yet? Yeah, so were we. Taylor Parker's behavior was only getting weirder by the day. And sensing that she was becoming less and less desirable by everyone around her, she decided to make yet another impulse purchase. This time, it was a brand new Nissan for Wade's mother. Taylor knew Wade's mother had been eyeing this specific vehicle for a while. However, just one week after receiving the Nissan, Taylor told Wade that his mother needed to bring it back. She said there was a recall and the dealership would be coming to pick it up. Wade's mother, Connie, then called the dealership herself, asking about the status of returning her car to them. The dealership told her she wouldn't be getting her car back and that there never was a recall because the vehicle was being repossessed. Taylor claimed the car had been paid for outright, but in actuality, 
She somehow managed to get it off the lot without ever making a single payment. Needless to say, everyone had finally reached their breaking point with Taylor Parker. On June 16, 2020, Taylor posted the following Instagram caption with yet another mirror selfie. Not too much longer, and I'll have you in my arms, Miss Clancy. Then on July 2nd, Taylor posted the following to her Facebook timeline. Prayers needed for Clancy Gale and me today. Lots of doctor appointments and scans. Suddenly, it seemed Taylor became very transparent online. She claimed to be having complications with her pregnancy, and days later on July 9th, she posted the following. Okay, I am making my baby registry wish list. As of today at OB appointment, I was informed there will be no way for me to have Clancy vaginally like originally planned. I have too many health risks, so we will be having a C-section. My last two were natural babies, so this is new to me. Can any of the C-section mamas lend me advice? What helped you along? Hours later, Taylor posted to Facebook again, this time with sonogram photographs attached. Our sweet girl is measuring two pounds and two ounces today. She is definitely handling everything like a champ. Her measurements came back good. Heartbeat running slower than her normal since they have put mama on a heart pill. We are scheduled for our full 3D ultrasound July 30th. And after seeing this sweet face, today I cannot wait. She is tiny but fierce. Taylor soon began posting to social media at a near constant rate. Sonograms, old urine tests, I mean, you name it. Then in August of 2020, her and Wade took maternity photos together. One picture can be found on social media of Wade proudly wearing a cowboy hat, a pistol holstered to his hip, and posing while he places his hands ever so gently on Taylor's pregnant belly. If you look closely at the picture, it almost seems as if Taylor is pushing Wade's hand away, like she doesn't want him touching her stomach for some reason. Up until this point, the father-to-be hadn't been able to obtain any information from the physicians or the clinics Taylor had been visiting. He hadn't actually joined Taylor for any appointments for that matter. And when he finally asked Taylor why he couldn't come along with her to any of her visits, she said he wasn't allowed due to COVID-19 protocols. And due to HIPAA laws, Wade wasn't able to get any information over the phone either. He tried not to let it bother him. Sure, he thought it was a bit strange, but any concerns he had were outweighed by the fact that he would soon be a father, excited by the prospect that his baby girl was surely on her way. Some of Wade's closest friends and family, however, weren't as positive. Wade's own mother, Connie, began to wonder if his girlfriend, Taylor, was ever even pregnant to begin with. By now, Taylor's due date was just around the corner. On September 2nd, 2020, a friend of Wade's made a Facebook post. It was in reference to a baby gift she had handmade for their child. Wade commented on the post with the following. I'm glad you're willing to make something for us, Sierra. Everyone else thinks we are faking a whole damn pregnancy with the little one that's not even here yet. Some people I once called friends are going to look so stupid in the weeks to come. On September 11th, Wade Griffin received yet another anonymous text message. It was from the same random number that had texted him initially back in January. It's funny how Taylor is pregnant, but every hospital within a 60-mile radius is watching for her because they're scared she's going to come in and steal a baby because there's no possible way she's pregnant and they all know that because they got all the hospital records. The person on the other end of that line still wouldn't identify themselves. 
four days later on September 15th, Wade received a third text message from that same unknown number. This time, the person on the other end informed Wade that the sonograms Taylor had been posting online were not of his unborn daughter, but from Taylor's past pregnancy and that she was now unable to bear children. I'm reaching out to you because I feel like it's the ethical thing to do. In 2015, Taylor had a hysterectomy. She isn't pregnant. She can't get pregnant. She's a con artist and is lying to keep you around. I'm sure you haven't been to one doctor appointment with her, for whatever reason. Wade started to wonder if whoever this person was may actually be telling the truth. As his mind began to race, he received yet another anonymous message. I don't do drama, not at all, but because I know for a fact she isn't pregnant and is running out of time, I had to reach out. Please be careful. She has lied about so much for so long she has herself in so deep she can't get out. I'm concerned how far she might go with this. All hospitals are high alert because she may go to the extent of stealing a child. Wade didn't have any idea what the hell was going on, but he had a really bad feeling by this point. His daughter was supposed to be born in just a matter of days on September 17th. He finally decided to confront Taylor. He showed her screenshots of the anonymous conversation, but Taylor had an answer for everything. She explained to Wade that the person texting him was her ex-husband Tommy and that he was lying because he was jealous because their marriage had ended poorly. Wade might be gullible, but he began to wonder a bit more why Taylor didn't have custody of her two children from her previous relationships. The more he thought about it, Wade hadn't seen those kids much at all, and they weren't even actively part of Taylor's life. At this point, a very pregnant mama, as Taylor kept referring to herself online, was stressed. She had family drama, people doubting her pregnancy, and folks calling her an all-around liar. I mean, that sort of anxiety can really weigh on a person, right? And so to take her mind off things, she decided to reach out to a friend, a 21-year-old woman named Reagan Hancock. Now, Taylor and Reagan weren't exactly close, but they'd been talking a lot online during Taylor's pregnancy. Taylor was an amateur photographer for a brief time and had actually taken photos of Reagan and her husband's wedding the year before. But the reason the two reconnected was not just because Taylor was about to have her baby and appreciated Reagan's advice as a mother of one herself. See, Taylor became persistent in becoming closer with Reagan when she learned that she too was pregnant and soon to have her second child. Taylor Parker began stopping by Reagan's house rather frequently. Just two pregnant women bonding over their due dates, which coincidentally fell extremely close to one another. Taylor soon brought Reagan a baby gift, and the two continued communicating via text message over the course of the next few weeks. By now, Taylor's due date had come and gone, and by October 5th, over three weeks past her due date, there was still no baby. In a bizarre turn of events, that very same day, Wade's house mysteriously caught fire. Luckily, Taylor and Wade were unharmed, and after notifying the fire department, the couple made their way to Wade's mother's house as they needed a place to stay. Wade had taken some time off work as the baby was due any day now, actually three weeks before that day. While Taylor was in the bathroom, Wade's mother told him he shouldn't have taken off work. When Wade asked why, she told him because she didn't think Taylor was actually pregnant. When Taylor came out of the bathroom, she told Wade's mother Connie that she was supposed to be induced that very day 
but in addition to the fire, there was a bomb threat called in at the hospital. What a series of unfortunate events it all was when poor Taylor was supposed to have a baby of all days. Wade's mom knew Taylor was full of shit by this point. She'd even called her out on it. But Taylor wasn't lying. Someone did call in a bomb threat at the hospital, and Wade's cabin was on fire. Still, Wade's mother wasn't letting her off the hook that easily. There in the kitchen, she continued doubting Taylor by telling her she knew that she was the one who called in the bomb threat. Taylor denied the allegations, of course, but then Connie told Taylor she wanted to show her something, something Taylor would have a bit more trouble explaining away so easily. It was a photograph, and the picture was Taylor's mother, Shauna, holding Taylor's two children from her previous relationships. Taylor had previously said that her mother was dead, and after that lie fell apart, she continuously insisted that she certainly wasn't involved in her life at all. But if that were really the case, then why was Shauna shown in Colorado with her two children, smiling in this very recent photo? Taylor fell quiet as Wade's mother confronted her. She told her she knew everything, as she'd hired a private investigator to look into Taylor. She found out that her ex had full custody of her children. She also knew about the hysterectomy years before, and that there was quite literally no possible chance from a medical perspective that Taylor was pregnant. After labeling Taylor as a pathological liar directly to her face, she and Wade stormed out, and two days later on October 7th, 2020, Taylor Parker went to her friend Reagan Hancock's house. She pulled into the driveway, sat there for a moment, and then, for some reason, left. She came back just a few minutes later, returning with Starbucks and another baby gift for her friend. Reagan was expecting a daughter herself, one she had planned to name Braxlyn Sage. The two hung out for a while, and Taylor left around 10 p.m. that evening. The same evening, Reagan posted the following to Taylor's Facebook wall. So glad I got to see you today. Missed you bunches. Also, thank you for the sweet gift in Starbucks. To this, Taylor responded, You are so welcome. Glad you got your gift. Can't wait to see her in them. We need more girl days like today. Taylor attached a heart emoji at the end of her post, but there never would be more days like the one they had just shared together, because Taylor Renee Parker was running out of time as she had concocted a gruesome plan that would be set into motion less than 48 hours from the time of that last message. On October 8, 2020, Taylor Parker purchased an application and downloaded it to her cell phone. The 99-cent application is used to make calls and text over a Wi-Fi connection without a data plan. Just moments after installing the app, Taylor texts herself using a fake number. Taylor then visits a McDonald's where she is seen on CCTV wearing a black jacket with leopard print. The next day on October 9th, Taylor Parker was scheduled to deliver her child. She told Wade to meet her at the hospital around lunchtime to be present for the birth of his daughter. Early that morning, Taylor was seen on surveillance paying for $10 worth of gas at 6.46 a.m. and was wearing the same leopard print jacket as the day before. Then at approximately 7.22 a.m., Taylor's Toyota Corolla with mismatched rims is captured on camera again, this time mere yards away from her friend Reagan Hancock's house. At 7.45 a.m., Reagan's neighbor noticed that her garage door was left open and that Reagan's black Labrador puppy was out on the loose wandering the street. 
she didn't have her number and proceeded to message Reagan on Facebook to tell her her dog had gotten out. After not receiving a reply, the neighbor went next door and knocked on the door. Still, there was no answer from Reagan. Taylor Parker isn't seen again on video until approximately 9.36 that morning, when she was pulled over for driving erratically. During the traffic stop and before the trooper exited his vehicle, Taylor called 911. Over the phone, she told the dispatcher, quote, I have a state trooper behind me and I need an ambulance because I started having my baby. Moments later, the state trooper approaches Taylor's vehicle, only to find a newborn baby in her lap, the umbilical cord still protruding from her pants. Once EMS arrived, Taylor told them the baby was about 35 minutes old. The child was unresponsive and EMS began emergency life-saving measures. Both Taylor Parker and the newborn child were rushed to the hospital, but upon receiving medical attention, the doctor was stunned to learn the patient currently being treated, who was covered in blood, did not in fact deliver a child. After testing Taylor's blood for pregnancy hormones, there were none present. In fact, none of the blood covering Taylor's clothing or body even belonged to her. While Taylor and the child were still in the hospital, Reagan Hancock's mother was walking into her daughter's home just a few miles away. After being notified about the dog and open garage door, Reagan's mom would find Reagan's daughter who had been left unattended in the home before discovering Reagan dead on the floor. Her stomach had been crudely cut open and her unborn child unceremoniously ripped away from her body. Reagan Hancock's mother called at 911 at 10.18 a.m., her daughter was subsequently pronounced dead at the scene. When officers arrived, Reagan Hancock was found face down, laying in a pool of blood. There were signs of an obvious struggle with blood stains found all throughout the home, including on the refrigerator, just below ultrasound photographs of her unborn daughter, Brax Lynn. A child's bathing suit was found covered in blood, appearing as if someone had attempted to clean up the crime scene. Clumps of Reagan's hair were also found on the edge of a blood-soaked couch, as if her head had been leaning against it during the attack. There were also bloody impressions consistent with Croc-style sandals located throughout the crime scene. The victim, Reagan Hancock, had suffered over 100 stab wounds, several of them defensive in nature on her hands. Her uterus had also been completely removed from her body. Reagan also suffered a fractured skull and had visible injuries to her forehead, these were circular marks later determined to have come from the bottom of a four-pound mason jar discovered near her body. The jar contained blue and pink sand from Reagan's gender reveal party. One of Reagan's fingers had also been dislocated and another nearly completely cut off. Reagan's phone was also missing and an autopsy would later reveal that a medical scalpel had been used to make the large incision in her abdomen. However, the murder weapon was not initially located until the coroner discovered the blade lodged deep inside Reagan's own neck. After searching the Toyota Corolla Taylor Parker had been driving in that morning, investigators found a loaded handgun. The Toyota was registered to her boyfriend, Wade Griffin. At 1.22 p.m. that very afternoon, Reagan's child was taken off of life support. Baby Braxland, at just 34 weeks old, weighing just 7 pounds, tragically did not survive. Back at the medical center in Idabel, Oklahoma, located on the Texas border, investigators were questioning Taylor Parker from her hospital bed. 
They informed her that this was now a capital murder investigation. Taylor then confessed that she never was pregnant, that she had a physical altercation with Reagan at her home earlier that day. She told authorities that she did cut the victim's unborn baby from her womb, but only because Reagan had told her to. Taylor went on to say that Reagan exclaimed, quote, Get her out of me, get her out of me, before putting a scalpel to her stomach and assisting in what she implied to be a, quote, mercy killing. Wearing the very same pair of white croc sandals she'd entered the hospital with, Taylor Renee Parker was then arrested and charged with two counts of capital murder, as well as kidnapping. Police are investigating after a woman was found dead in her home after her unborn child was removed from her womb Friday morning. Taylor Parker was extradited back to Texas on October 14, 2020. There, she was held on a $5 million bond. Reagan Hancock and baby Braxlin soon would have a joint memorial service, a funeral that took place on October 17, 2020, in downtown New Boston, Texas. Reagan was born November 14, 1998, roughly one month short of her 22nd birthday at the time she was murdered. She is remembered as an amazing wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Braxlin wouldn't even live to see one day on this earth due to the atrocious and depraved acts of Taylor Renee Parker. Before Taylor Parker could even be arraigned, she began causing disruptions in the jail just as soon as she had arrived, so much so that inmate policies and privileges were ultimately changed as a result of her behavior. The defendant has been incarcerated at the Bowie County Jail and has continuously and repeatedly caused chaos and confusion and has disrupted jail operations by fabricating grievances, medical conditions, and issues with other inmates and correctional officers. Complaints towards jail staff, threatening lawsuits alleging discrimination, and making threats to jail personnel were just some of Parker's antics behind bars. She also wrote several letters, one in which she tried to pin the murder on another inmate. And another, Parker wrote to a jailhouse lover where she penned an elaborate tale of being abducted by gang members. In what reads like a bootleg Stephen King novel, Parker claimed that gang members drugged her and then beat her and Reagan Hancock within an inch of their lives, before Reagan instructed Parker to cut the baby out of her. The following is an excerpt from that disturbing letter. Reagan gurgled, leave us alone. I remember putting my hand on her throat saying, who did this? Reagan says... I'm dying. She's dying. Get her out. Save her. I couldn't do anything but say, oh God. I said, I can't Reagan. She had a knife in her hand, a serrated knife. She tried to drag it over her stomach. I snatched that knife so fast and said, no. I slung it across the room. I thought of the knife, but oh God, I couldn't. I couldn't bear to do that. She was my friend, not a stake. I don't know how, but I remembered the leather surgical kit I had custom made for Wade I got for him in Paris. It was his surprise for his birthday. She put her broken hand on mine and made the cut. Parker had also been using the jail's email kiosk illegally, attempting to get a hold of a man she knew back home. She was first in communication with her mother, Shauna, who Taylor then asked to contact a man via Facebook for her. According to those emails, she was hoping he would be her, quote, sugar daddy and put some money on her books. Needless to say, Taylor Parker wasn't off to a great start, having done all of this before her initial appearance in court. A few months later at her arraignment hearing in January of 2021, Parker would learn that the state would not be seeking a life sentence, but instead the death penalty 
In the courthouse today, prosecutors said they decided to pursue the death penalty against Parker for several reasons. They say the murder of 21-year-old Reagan Simmons Hancock was premeditated and planning took place over a course of several months. Prosecutors add to that the heinous nature of the crime and they say that Parker showed no remorse. Taylor Parker would ultimately plead not guilty to all charges. The proceedings would begin less than a year later in September of 2021. In the interim, both the prosecution and the defense would have their hands full preparing for what would certainly be a complex trial. The big question was whether Taylor Renee Parker was even fit to stand trial to begin with. After being evaluated by mental health professionals, the answer to that question was ultimately yes, that she was deemed sane and competent and would indeed face a jury of her own peers come September. The defense would attempt to paint a picture of a woman they described as, quote, unwell but human, arguing that Parker was not in the right state of mind at the time these crimes were committed. They would also argue that Reagan Hancock's child was not technically born. Therefore, the additional murder and kidnapping charges should not apply. The state would argue that the child did in fact have a heartbeat when EMS first arrived and found her in the defendant's lap. The prosecution would go on to remind the jury that Taylor Parker was indeed sane, not unwell as the defense claimed, reminding them that she had been deemed as such legally through the courts. But what was truly astounding, and to the advantage of the prosecution alone, was the mountain of evidence stacked up against Taylor Parker that was inevitably revealed at trial. There's a lot, so allow us to start all the way back at the beginning. In 2014, Taylor Parker underwent a permanent sterilization procedure followed by a hysterectomy in 2015. Her mother, Shauna, ultimately made the decision while Taylor was under anesthesia. She'd been admitted for emergency surgery due to complications with her ovaries. Parker allegedly awoke furious and upset that she had not personally been consulted before the permanent procedure was done. She did, in fact, give birth to children of her own back in 2014. However, she didn't have custody of either of them. Before ever meeting Wade Griffin, Parker faked several additional pregnancies, including miscarriages. In regards to one fabricated pregnancy, she had told a friend, quote, It's a miracle. All my stuff grew back. Parker offered a different friend money to carry her child as a surrogate mother. Even though the friend declined, Parker had no money to begin with. It was revealed in court that Taylor Parker had been defrauding the welfare system in Texas since 2010, all the way up to the murders. She also owed her ex-husband Tommy child support money somewhere in the ballpark of $8,000, though he never pursued legal action. This was for the very same reason he never told Wade it was him on the other end of those text messages. Tommy wanted to warn Wade, but aside from that, he wanted nothing to do with Taylor. In developing her elaborate scheme, Parker claimed to be an heir to several family businesses and fortunes, when in fact the only employment she'd ever held were minimum wage jobs. She previously worked as a payroll clerk for a tire company and at one point falsified medical documents in an effort to collect paid time off. She also claimed she had a stroke at the time and upon returning to work, even brought in an oxygen tank to sell the bit. Upon constructing the pregnancy lie with an unassuming Wade Griffin, Parker purchased a fake belly from fakeababy.com, 
a website that sells fraudulent hospital documents, fake sonograms, and most notably, movie-quality prop stomachs resembling that of a pregnant woman. Taylor Parker wore the prop whenever she was around Wade for some nine months, somehow passing it off as real and going undetected all along. Parker also created several fake email accounts, pretending at one time or another to be her mother Shauna, Shelley Lynx, a lawyer named Blake Lawington, and countless other made-up characters. In the months leading up to her fake due date, Parker researched clinics, baby clothing stores, and several different hospitals all over Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Arkansas, all in search for her victim. Parker visited some of these locations and even showed up to OBGYN appointments that she had scheduled for herself. Employees at a clinic in Paris, Texas, testified that on September 30th, just days before the murders, they witnessed Taylor Parker in their lobby crying. When nurses and even the doctor came out to console her, she told them her husband had just been killed while serving in the military. The defendant then told staff she needed to reschedule her appointment. Before leaving, a nurse asked if Taylor would at least like to take a sonogram home to make her feel better. To their surprise, Taylor declined coming back for the quick ultrasound, knowing full well there never was a baby in her stomach to begin with. Witnesses saw the defendant sitting outside of these clinics, carefully watching pregnant women as they came and went. She had also been seen writing down license plate numbers in the parking lot. Eventually, the defendant decided on a more familiar victim, choosing Reagan Hancock as her eventual target. Parker began stalking Reagan's every move online. She then engaged in a casual friendship with the woman with the sole purpose of eventually taking her unborn child. Taylor Parker's online history shows extensive research regarding how to conduct C-sections and home births, all ramping up before October 9th. The day before the murders, cell phone data indicated that Parker may have done a dry run. A cell phone towers pinged her in the vicinity of Reagan Hancock's house before leaving just moments later on October the 8th. The defendant also allegedly set fire to Wade Griffin's home. Big surprise there as she also apparently downloaded a voice-changing application on her phone before calling in the bomb threat to the hospital. Sometime before the murders, she had also arranged a hog sale on behalf of her boyfriend Wade Griffin. She'd told Wade she'd been in contact with a man four hours away who was interested in purchasing livestock. Although she was supposed to go with Wade on this trip, the day of the murders, Taylor Parker claimed to be struggling with morning sickness due to her fake pregnancy. In short, Wade couldn't pass up the deal as he was set to profit over $6,000. After loading up his trailer with 150 hogs and driving across Texas and well into Oklahoma, Wade showed up to the buyer's ranch the morning of October 9th, but due to his confusion, the man had no idea what Wade was even talking about, claiming no such arrangement had ever been discussed. Taylor Parker had apparently used the voice-changing and texting apps once again to send her boyfriend Wade on a fool's errand. This, of course, was all done to buy herself some additional time. The plan was to commit the murder, steal Reagan Hancock's yet unborn child, and arrive at the hospital in time before Wade returned. Before returning back, Wade basically gave the hogs away at a loss, as he needed them off his hands and sold them all to a stranger for $2,500. After all, his child was to be delivered that very same day, and once Wade finally arrived at the hospital later on that afternoon, 
he was met by three police officers. He was immediately detained and questioned soon after. At the time, Wade thought he was in trouble for conducting the fraudulent hog sale. While on the stand, he testified by saying, quote, That dadgum Shauna done called the law. In reference to what he thought while being placed in handcuffs that day, Wade was quickly released as he was completely oblivious to anything and everything that was going on. You might be asking yourself, how did this guy actually not know that his girlfriend wasn't pregnant for nine long months? Or what about the fake emails, stories of syrup conglomerates, gas royalties, and the Mexican mafia? How in the hell did Wade never catch on? Well, to be quite frank, we're right there with you. I guess the heart wants what the heart wants, and Wade Griffin desperately wanted to be a father. Perhaps those emotions overruled any logical thinking on his behalf for the entirety of his and Taylor Parker's relationship. Regardless, Parker was the one on trial here, not him, and she would soon face the consequences for her heinous actions. Perhaps the one rational thing defendant Taylor Renee Parker chose to do as it related to this case was not to testify in court in her own defense. In the end, however, that didn't much matter, as it would take just over an hour for the jury to reach their verdict. On Monday, October 3rd, 2022, the floor person would read the final ruling guilty on all counts. Jury in Bowie County found Taylor Parker guilty of capital murder in the death of Hancock and the kidnapping and murder of her unborn baby. Outside of the courthouse, Reagan Hancock's aunt Jamie addressed the local media, expressing her satisfaction with the jury's decision. I'm so excited and I thank the jury so much. Um, we all hoped it was coming to that. We weren't for sure, but we hoped it was coming to that. And um, I know Sentencing doesn't start till October 12th, but just pray for the family because it's still a hard time until we know for sure, you know, what she's going to get. But but we just pray every day that, that she gets what she deserves for what she did to Reagan and Braxlin. After Taylor Parker was convicted, the victim's husband, Homer Hancock, filed a wrongful death lawsuit. Wade Griffin was served the paperwork that October. And while the suit implicates Taylor Parker, of course, it also claims Wade Griffin was negligent in allowing Parker to use his vehicle the day Homer's wife and his unborn child were murdered. The same jury that found Taylor Renee Parker guilty of capital murder would ultimately decide whether or not she received one of two things, life in prison or the death penalty. During the sentencing phase, the jury was shown another one of Taylor Renee Parker's jailhouse letters. This one was written to the FBI, where she actually had the gall to offer her services aiding in murder investigations in exchange for a lesser sentence. In the letter, she admits to being manipulative and honing that special ability to play, quote, sexual mind games with her victims. I have a way of dissecting into a delicate balance, the mind. Knowing it, connecting to it, and them makes me good at what I do. In a year, I've allowed myself time to help educate myself. Profiling what motivates a criminal. My favorite are the murders and their proxy. Proxy are driven by motivation similar to a dog. Play, praise, reward, and pleasing the ones who dole all that out. But the problem with them is they usually deviate from their motives and in the end, got caught. The bizarre letter was never actually sent, but was discovered in her cell. The DA presented this letter as proof positive the defendant is calculated, deviant, and deserving of the maximum penalty. 
and ultimately the jury agreed. On November 9, 2022, 29-year-old Taylor Renee Parker was sentenced to death, making her only the seventh woman in the state of Texas's history to wind up on death row. Victim impact statements were then read aloud in court, and Reagan's sister expressed her profound sadness, knowing she'll never again hear her sister laugh, nor will she have her maid of honor at her wedding. After 25 long days of testimony, including from some 142 witnesses, some of whom took the stand twice, along with over 100 pieces of carefully cataloged evidence, 29-year-old Taylor Renee Parker was sent away to the Texas Department of Corrections for the rest of her natural life. At the time of this episode's airing, her execution date is still pending. 